Good morning, Community Church, and welcome to the first Sunday in Lent. It's great to be worshiping with you today, wherever you might be. Thank you, Pastor Brenda, for those prayers and worship team for leading us into God's presence. And thank you, KO, for the update on the outreach core team and being able to distribute funds um, to COVID relief right now. And we do just invite you to be prayerful about um, ways you might want to be a part of meeting those COVID needs in our city right now. Now we are in the first Sunday of Lent. This started on Ash Wednesday and we're going through the one app. We're going through the Gospel of John and the letters of John during Lent. So if you haven't done that, do jump in. It's a great way to daily journey together in community. Now John is the last gospel that's been written. He already has Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are out there. So John has that context and he's writing to tell us really about who Jesus is and what the mission of Jesus was. That's his goal here. And so we look at these seven statements that John puts out there from what Jesus has said. And we're going to go through each Sunday a different one of these statements. I am the bread of life is the first statement that we get to. And we're going to do that today. But this I am, I am. See, Yahweh was the name God gave himself in the Old Testament. This holy name, this sacred name. And Yahweh in Hebrew sounds like I am. And so we see John helping to shape that Jesus is actually saying that he is God. And so we get to look at that first statement today. Now, the context for our passage, we'll be looking at John 6, 35 to 39 and also 44 to 51. But the context is really Jesus is giving the clearest picture, the clearest words about who he is and what his mission is. And we'll see at the end of the passage that Jesus is giving this teaching. He's in Capernaum and he's in the synagogue and it's the time for Passover. So his audience would have been studying the Passover. They would have been talking about Egypt, you know, their flight from Egypt into the wilderness, about God's provision of manna. And, and what is a key symbol of Passover? It's the unleavened bread. When they had to hurry and leave, they didn't have time for the dough to rise. And so bread is definitely on their mind as Jesus gives this teaching. Let's jump in, John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. And then skipping ahead to verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. 
Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this gospel, and I thank you for the message that we have read today. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you might make these words come alive for us in our lives today. Amen. Now, Jesus had just fed several thousand people earlier in this story. And the, with just a few loaves and fish, right? We, we know these stories. And here the people are, and they're asking for another sign from Jesus that he is God. And the miraculous is why some people are drawn to Jesus then and now. See, the, cl- the crowds are saying, you know, give us another sign and we'll believe. Moses provided this bread in the wilderness, so you can provide more bread for us. Now, in many cultures in that time, bread was a staple for them. It was a staple part of their diet. And so in that context, Jesus says, actually, I am the bread of life. I can provide something that sustains you even to your deeper needs, spiritually your needs. And he wants to do that. So, but given Jesus' divine power, why doesn't he just perform another miracle? He has the ability to do that. He, he could have done another sign in front of them. I think there's a few reasons why he doesn't. First, Jesus knows that no matter how many signs, some will still not believe. When Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, Some of them believed that he was God after he did that, but others, that's when they decided they wanted to kill Jesus. Second, some people can be so fixated on the power of Jesus and the miraculous and the spectacle that that's really what they want instead of Jesus himself. They want the signs and they want the wonders, but do they want relationship with Jesus? And at the end of chapter 6, we won't get there, but in verse 66, we see that many left that day because he did not give them another sign. And finally, I don't think Jesus does another miracle there because Jesus himself says that miracles are not proof of God's power. We see in Matthew 24 where Jesus says, there'll be false prophets who do great signs and wonders, but they are not from God. So the people want another miracle, but, but Jesus refuses. But he wants to draw them to a deeper truth. He wants to draw them deeper than their thinking in terms of having their stomachs filled. See, hold this idea of them wanting bread, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life, because Jesus really wants to push them to a deeper reality. Five times in this passage in John 6, Jesus speaks of eternal life or living forever. We see that term in a few chapters earlier in probably the famous, most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have eternal life, eternal life. So what is eternal life? Now, we might think of eternal life as this platonic existence. that It's not really physical or it's not really in reality or an earthly type of existence. We might think of it as living somewhere outside of time, living somewhere up in the clouds, in the sky, some type of existence with some disembodied soul, uh, somewhere in heaven, where, wherever that might be. And I know when I came to faith, that was definitely my image. The point of my faith was to be saved, and to be saved was to go to heaven. That was the goal, and it was always presented as this sort of surreal, ethereal existence somewhere up there. And yet, that's not what John is talking about at all. See, in the time of Jesus, they would talk about the present age and the age to come. So the present age was the current age, life right now for them, with all of its struggles, with all of its hardship, with all of its injustice, its diseases, its food shortages. Um, that was the present age. But one day, God would come and usher in a new day, a new age, and that would be the age to come. See, the Creator God would bring this new day. He would help make it happen where everything would be sorted out. There wouldn't be injustice. There wouldn't be disease. There wouldn't be struggle. And what we find here is John is telling us that this life of the new age comes to us in the person of Jesus. Suddenly, the new creation is bursting onto the scene. New creation is happening now. At the same time, where the present age and old creation is still going on as well. So in Jesus, we see this overlap of the present age and the age to come. All right, so this is when Jesus is talking about eternal life, this is the understanding of his audience. Now, they might not believe that Jesus is the one ushering in that age yet, but this is what, in fact, Jesus is doing. And so we see this overlap of the present age with all of the challenges, all of the struggles, and yet this new thing that is happening, this age to come. And in Jesus, these things overlap. That brings us to another key part of this passage, salvation. Four times Jesus says he's going to raise them up on the last day. There's this emphasis on bodily resurrection. This is what they understood resurrection to be, their whole bodies raised up. So, so what is salvation in that context? What is our salvation actually for? A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Brenda talked about the gospel. Remember with the cross? And we might think of it as individually this salvation happens but what about all of the challenges with the world? So it's not just about us. So salvation first is about whole beings, about all of who we are. It's not merely our souls going to heaven. Second, it's, it's about the present right now, not just about the future. So salvation is for us in this moment, it is doing something for us. And, and finally, three, about salvation is about what God does through us, but it's not merely what God does in and for us. So it's what God is doing through us, also what he does in us and for us. Let me unpack that a little bit. So you have heaven's rule, God's rule, and it's to be put into practice here right now. 
and it results in salvation both in the present and in the future. It's both for humans right now, but it's also for the wider world. So the story, and this was the story I was given. I was given that this is the Christian faith. Jesus died, Jesus was raised, and now we get to go to heaven. And that's such a small, small, incomplete picture of what Jesus is doing. It really doesn't matter how we live now if that's the story we buy into. Now, resurrection is about life, bodily life in this world and for this world. So God's creation, his new creation, this, this future age has come, and we have a job to do. We are the foretaste of that new creation, right? We are the beneficiaries of that salvation and of that new creation, and we get to live it out in this world right now. We get to be agents of this new creation. That power, now we're on this Lenten journey to Easter, that power that was released at Easter is a power that can transform who we are and transform this world. So it's not just for ourselves, it's for everybody. It's for our systems. It's for creation. It's for this whole planet that God has placed us in. So God's intention is to flood new creation with his new life, streams of living waters flowing out from him. So when we talk about salvation from a biblical perspective, we're not just talking about being saved from something, but we're saved for something. We're not just being rescued from something, but we're being saved for something. It isn't just about being personally saved, it's about being saved for the world. See, two times in this passage, Jesus says that he gives life to the world. I grew up in a very sort of individualistic culture. It was about my personal salvation, about me personally being saved. And even though in John 3.16 that God so loved the world, I always read of God so loved me. But Jesus again and again talks about this whole redemption for the whole world. Paul says it in Romans 8. He says, the whole creation will be set free. The whole creation, all of it. We will be saved from death, but all of creation will be saved from decay. We are saved from death, but we are also saved for this world. So God's plan for new creation is for here and for now. This is why in our vision, it's love God, love people, and love doing good, because it's not love God, love people, and go to heaven someday, right? It's love doing good now. It's being part of that new creation right now, being agents of it. Okay, so that's eternal life and salvation. Let's jump back into the passage. Now, they're asking for more manna. They're asking for more bread. And what does Jesus offer them instead? Himself. His very being. Two times in this passage, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Four times, Jesus speaks of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Now, I don't know for you what is your staple. Bread would have been a staple for the Hebrews. Maybe it's rice. Maybe it's pasta. Um, I love bread. 
Bread is not great for my diabetes though, so I have to be careful on it. I know this week there's been much rush to get staples and, and vegetables and, and things like that. It's not that we don't need these things. We need physical sustenance. But Jesus is saying to them, he can do so much more than fill their tummies. He can do so much more than, than meeting that need in that particular moment. And I don't know about where you're at right now spiritually, but I need that deeper truth. I need that deeper feel, feeling from him. I need what Jesus is offering. See, Jesus is saying that he is the living bread. We need physical bread to sustain us, but he's going to provide something much more robust that can sustain us spiritually and that will transform them. Why do they need to be transformed? Why do we need to be transformed? Because we are a part of this whole world. We are a part of this new creation. And so we welcome God's transforming work in our lives. See, Jesus says, I will be the refreshment and the energy that you need, but you need to feed off of me. He says, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, right? There's this, there's this partaking of who he is to be fed. Now, we have two choices in this world. We can be fed by the world or we can be fed by God. What does it like to be fed by the world? Oftentimes it's a short-term fix, right? And here's what I found. Um, when I look to the world to, to meet my needs, to fulfill my needs, there's this short-term satisfaction from it. But as time goes on, the world requires more and more and gives me less and less. It might be security. It might be savings. It might be a job. It might be a relationship. And, and none of those things are, are wrong in and of themselves, but they're never meant to carry the weight of our, our salvation in them, right? And so if savings is, is something that you are looking to be fed by the world, if I just have enough, then I'll be secure, then I won't be stressed, and I'll be okay. And then you maybe you reach that target, you reach that number, and is it satisfying? Has it met those needs? Chances are, it's like, well, that's okay, but a little bit more would be better. And it, it can be this pursuit that is never ending and never satisfying. And here's where being fed by God is different. It's meant to satisfy that deep need in our lives. See, we can make it really complicated about how, do, how are we fed by God? And sometimes the longer we're a believer, the more and more complicated it can be. But it's actually very simple. Let him feed you. Let him be your bread. Now, last week, Andrew, in his sharing on our core value of community, talked about Nightbird. And about a year ago, we showed a video clip. Nightbird was a performer on um, America's Got Talent. And she shared in the interview after her performance that she had stage four cancer and she had been battling with cancer for years now. And she has a blog and um, she's really um, an outspoken believer about who Jesus is for her. And she's raw and real and authentic in her sharing. And about two weeks ago, Nightbird actually passed away. And this was the quote. Um, 
that Andrew read that I wanted to share with you again today. She's talking about God here. He is more of a giver than a taker. He doesn't take away my darkness, he adds light. He doesn't spare me of thirst, he brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness, he comes near. So why do you believe that when you are in pain, it must mean God is far? You know, right now in our city, but also globally, there is a lot of pain, there is a lot of struggle. And our faith doesn't mean we say, oh, those things don't matter, or, or just put a smile on your face. No, we can be real with God in those moments. And we see in the Psalms, David being most honest with God when things were the hardest. It didn't mean that God was far away, but it gives us an opportunity to focus on God being right here, right now. Friends, Jesus wants to feed you especially this Lent, we get an opportunity to take up practices, to set things aside, to focus on who Jesus is. So some ways to be fed by Jesus this Lent. Spend time each day with Jesus. Very simple, right? Might be reading scripture in the One app. I've been starting my day in the One app and walking through John and First John. We'll go to Second and Third John as well. Read scripture and pray. It might be worship music. It might be taking a walk, letting God speak to your soul. Ponder, meditate, and reflect on the Jesus you are discovering in John. Resonate on the words, meditate on them. Talk about it in your life groups. The second thing, create space for time with Jesus. Something I'm doing this Lent is I'm not turning on my devices the first thing that I wake up in the morning. Instead, using that time just to meditate on God before the, the worries, the WhatsApps that were all coming in the night before begin to flood my mind and distract me. I'm also turning off my devices about a half hour before bed. Um, and that has a way of clearing space. There's so much news right now. How many cases do we have today, right? What's the update in Ukraine? And it's not that we should put our heads in the sand, but we need to monitor how much of that do we need? Is it fueling us with anxieties and fears? And so blocking time off. Resist busyness. We've given you know time right now to, to be at home more, and yet we can still fill our schedules. We can still fill our time with lots of things give something up this Lent. So there's lots of ways, you know, you can give things up, you can take things on or a combination of the two. And I would encourage you just simply spend time with Jesus, spend time with him daily, change up your rhythms this season in order to create some space for Jesus to work. See, God wants to feed you and he is eager to feed you. He wants to be near you right now and to renew your soul. So I would encourage you to begin your day and end your day with Jesus. Start your day, invite him into that space. End your day and reflect, when was God closest to you during the day? When was he furthest away? And finish your day giving that to God. Walking each part of your day with God, giving him those meetings that are coming up, 
giving him the challenges your children might be facing, giving him your fears and anxieties, maybe about COVID or if, you're, if you get COVID, what to do. Um, give that all to him because he wants to be meeting your needs, your deepest needs in this season. So start where you are, church, and let God feed you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are the bread of life, God. And I know sometimes it's easy to, to chase after lesser forms of life, temporary fixes, God. But may we as a church journey together towards you and your cross this season. Jesus, you say, I am the bread of life. You are God in the flesh. So do a work in us, I pray, this Lent. In your name, amen.